Good morning and welcome to Storehouse Seven Ministries with me, Chris Wickland. Hope you're all doing well. If I sound a bit bunged up today, it's because it's been a long week. It's very early in the morning and, well, there we go. So we're starting at Revelation chapter 22 and we're going to look at verse 8. Today is part 3 of chapter 22, the penultimate chapter, not the penultimate chapter, but the penultimate episode. So the next episode that comes after this is the last episode of this three-year project. So if you've managed to listen to to all these podcasts, which I I think is going to be around about 82 when finished, 82 in number, then congratulations that you've <laughs> you've endured to the end. Well done. So anyway, let's get on with this verse. So Revelation 22 verse 8, and it says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Now here the Apostle John is inserting his name into the letter to likely ground the book of Revelation into fact that an actual Apostle of Christ himself has written down and witnessed these visions. And I guess he inserted his name as a testimonial and to give the book credibility by naming himself and thus his credentials as an Apostle of Christ himself. Remember the Apostle John is the bishop they believe, who oversaw the seven churches listed in chapters 1 to 3. So by inserting his name here as he did in chapter 1 verse 4, he is making very clear the authorship of the book and because of that the book and its contents are to be trusted. It seems according to Revelation 22 verse 8 where, I'll just read it again, he said, I, John, am the one who has heard and saw these things and when I heard and saw I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. So it seems that John was so overwhelmed and overawed by the things he had seen from you know all the revelations, etc., that he fell down in worship to honor the angel who had shown him the visions. Revelation 22 verse 9 then says, But he, that's the angel, said to me, uh, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. This is such a wonderful verse here actually, and I'll get to that in a minute, but obviously it starts with a a prohibition, you know, do not do that, um, as in do not bow down and worship me. But the second half of the verse is quite nice, but we'll get to that in a minute. You see, we see something similar to don't bow down to worship me um, from the book of Acts chapter 14, where after a healing miracle, uh, the town believes Paul and Barnabas to be Zeus and Hermes, and then try to pay homage and do sacrifice to them. Paul in verse 15 then says, of Acts chapter 14, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So why is this verse so wonderful in Revelation? Because, you know, the angel obviously tells uh, John not to worship him, but then he also states that he's a fellow servant of him and his brethren. In other words, as glorious as the angels are, they are never to be given homage and to be bowed down to because they're just like us in that they work for God like us. Uh, and they work for God and God alone and they help us as well. And, and, and so they, they, they state very clearly that only God alone is worthy of homage, adoration and worship. Sure, the angel may have a better vantage point than we do, but at the end of the day, they are serving God alongside us in our serving God. They are fellow co-workers to God as we are. And yes, they have different functions as we do to them, but we also have similar functions as priests unto God and warriors for Christ. 
Let's leave the homage stuff for God alone and let's get to work in our callings as Christians, knowing that in doing so, every now and then, whether seen or not, we are working alongside our fellow labourers, the angels. Revelation 22 verse 10, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now John here is told to not seal up, or to hide, or to cover over the words of the prophecy, but to leave it unsealed for all to see and understand. Understand being the understatement word, because like most people have really wrestled with the book of Revelation. But interestingly, it, if I may, to me it seems to become clearer as we've moved further into the future. Um, as we look back on history, we, we see things from a much clearer vantage point. It's an old saying where things look clearer in the rearview mirror. And I think as we move forward, the book of Revelation seems to make more sense because history unravels behind it. And so we, where we may have thought, well, this must mean that and that must mean this, that we know that that can't be the case. Um, anyway, prophecy being sealed up. It, there's another similar verse uh, that we find, but in reverse. And, and this is from the prophet Daniel. Uh, in two places. The first one's in chapter 826, and it says, The visions of the evenings and the mornings which has been told is true, but keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. Now, what is interesting to note from the Daniel and the Revelation passage is the timeline. In Daniel, it states that the future prophecy is many days in the future, but in Revelation, it states the time is near. Now, the vision of Daniel came 500 years before Christ, so the vantage point from Daniel's timeline is way off, including the fact that a major historical shift had to first commence, which was the incarnation of God himself in human flesh, i.e. the birth of Jesus. Yet the book of Revelation did not need to be made secret and sealed because the end of days was much sooner at hand. Indeed, some say that when Jesus manifested, that was really the beginning of the end of the age. However, there will come a day when the prophecies of Daniel will be unsealed. In Daniel chapter sorry, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, it reads, But as, as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. In this passage, Daniel is again told to seal up the prophecies. However, the text indicates until the end of time, i.e. when the end of days is upon us, the prophecies of Daniel will be revealed, unlocked, decoded, and thus unsealed. Clearly, historical events have to transpire in such a manner and in such an order that in the end of days, the prophecies of Daniel, just like Revelation, will read like a map as clear as day with no confusion or lack of clarity. Revelation chapter 22 verse 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. And this seems to be a strange verse, and yet again, my commentaries barely say anything on this verse except to say, those who are beyond repentance to keep on sinning. <coughs> but that seems in contradiction to verse 17, which is encouraging people to drink from the water of life. Let's read that. It says, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty, come, let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. So verse 11 seems to be a permittance in light of verse 17. 
i.e. if the wicked want to be wicked, well, let them do so. Therefore, because they are filthy through their wickedness, they remain filthy. Likewise, those who wish to repent and drink from the water of life can continue to live and practice a righteous and holy life. Yet we know that those who live and are permitted to live in wickedness will come to a fearful and dreadful end, whereas the righteous will come to eternal life. And of course, this all has echoes of Psalm 1 attached to it. Psalm 1 verses 5 to 6, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Revelation 22 verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Here verse 12 qualifies that Jesus who is coming back soon will reward and recompense every man according to his deeds. So from verse 11, Jesus will render to the wicked their reward and to the righteous their reward. God will not be mocked. Every man will reap according to what he has sown. You can see a bit more of that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Again in verse 12, we have Jesus saying that he will be coming back again quickly. However, <laughs> let's be clear on this. God's soon and quickly is not how we see soon and quickly. I'm sure you've all began to figure that out by now. God is never too soon <clears throat> or never too late. His timing is perfect, even when it seems to tarry. We must learn to trust in him and his timing. You see, he knows exactly what he's doing, and re we really don't. Let us remember that we are all too human, so let's let God be God. Revelation 22:13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The term Alpha and Omega is referring to the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Thus, Jesus, God, is the first and the last, the cause of the beginning and the cause of the end. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12:2. He sets everything in motion and brings it to its conclusion. He is God Almighty who is acquainted with all our ways and knows what we need before we even ask for it. Psalm 139 verse 3, Matthew 6 verse 8. The canticle in Colossians 1 sums this all up beautifully. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> Revelation 22 verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter by the gates into the city. The phrase, blessed are those who wash their robes, is one given to those who love Jesus, but also ones who seek to live a holy, chaste, pious and righteous life. For one to wash their own clothes, 
denotes a process of sanctification on behalf of the believer. The process of sanctification is when one renews their thinking according to Scripture and then seeks to apply the finished work of the cross daily to their lives by taking up their cross and dying to themselves daily. In other words, saying yes to God and no to ourselves. For those who give up their lives for Christ will gain everything. Matthew 16, 24-26 Those that are born again and live in this manner then have the right to eat from the tree of life and are permitted into the city within the gates of the new Jerusalem. Let's not forget that the verse began with the words blessed. <clears throat> and this resonates with the opening verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. We see another similarity to Psalm 119 verse 1. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So verse 14 of Revelation is a call, a mandate, an invitation and encouragement to press on. Keep living the life of faith for the external rewards far exceed any transitory pleasures of sin upon the earth. Let's let's take some encouragement from Moses as written in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 25 to 26. He, that's Moses, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead for his reward. Revelation 22.15 Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. The term outside would equate to being banned and barred from paradise, the new earth and the new Jerusalem. The wicked are forever to burn in the lake of fire in their resurrected state from the second resurrection. These people who are unrepentant are not only on the outside of the kingdom of God then in the future, but also right now if they refuse to accept Jesus as their saviour. For the kingdom of God is already upon the earth as it breaks into people's hearts and transforms lives from deeds, uh, from deeds of darkness to deeds of light. The word dog is the Greek word kunes, um, but the meaning of this word is made clear when, it is a cro- when it's cross-referenced to Deuteronomy 23, verses 18 to 19. You'll need to look that up. I don't think it's appropriate I say it on the podcast in case it gets me into trouble, which illustrates the word dog and what sin the word dog is referring to. Uh, For more on this subject, also see Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. The next phrase of interest is the word sorcery. Now, this word comes from the Greek word pharmakeia. And this this word is used in reference to, in its context, is mind-expanding drugs used in an occult setting. So I would just like to say that this doesn't mean that taking an an aspirin from a big pharmaceutical company equates you to being in witchcraft and the occult. This is really a bad understanding of the word and its etymology, i.e. its context. So to say that Christians should not take an aspirin because it's from a pharmaceutical company is really the stuff of cults, bad exegesis, and somewhat a dangerous approach to scripture. So the word pharmakeia is a bit like the English word drug. 
It can have several meanings and applications, some good and some bad. The same is true with the word pharmakeia. Sometimes it can refer to mind-expanding drugs in the context of sorcery, i.e. the occult, or it can refer simply to the practice of medication. Each time, however, the word pharmakeia is used in the New Testament, to be fair, it's always used in a negative way, denoting sorcery and witchcraft. However, every definition of pharmakeia is not condemned because like many Greek words in the New Testament, it's about context. So in the practice, so the question we need to ask ourselves, is the practice of medicine condemned in the New Testament? Well, for example, let's take Matthew 9, 12, Mark 2, 7 and Luke 5, 31, which says those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Why say the sick need to see a physician if medicine is condemned? Colossians 4.14 brings greetings from Luke, the physician. Why would Luke's profession be mentioned if it was deemed inappropriate or tantamount to sorcery? Because obviously a physician is someone that is going to be using pharmakeia to help people, drugs. I could go on and on, but suffice to say the word pharmakeia has to be used in the context of its setting to be used correctly. Uh, Revelation 22.15, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. The list mentioned here is really um, aspects of the moral code of the Jewish law, the Torah. And we see a similar list in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. And it says this, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully uh, or legitimately is another way of translating it, realizing the fact that Torah the law is not made for a righteous person but for those who are lawless and rebellious for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching and that's enough there i think so that's that will do you for today so we have one more episode, this three-year-long project, uh, part four, which should be out in the next week or so. I'm going away for a little retreat, so I'm not going to have time to do much writing on it because I'm going to take a break. Um, but it will be done in the next couple of weeks. So until then, God bless you all, and thank you for all of those who have faithfully followed with me on this journey. So until next time, the last time, God bless you all. Bye-bye.